I had achieved this dream, and here I am. I had thought that achieving the dream would have made me happy. I'd climbed to the top of this mountain, and then it was like, now what? Wait, I thought I was going to be happy here. I'm still unhappy. I have all the money I could ask for, all the access. I got the house. I got the car. I got all the shit. But here I am, and I'm still not content. Fuck. What do I do now? When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Well, that is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. In today's episode, I chat with former NFL athlete-turned-yogi, Eben Britton. If you're a subscriber of this show, and I hope you are, if you're not, you can just go click subscribe right now, wink, wink. But you may recall, just a few weeks ago, I shared a short 30-minute segment on a Friday episode where... Eben and I were chatting on his podcast, which is called The Ebb and Flow, about breathing. And it was one of these really cool deep dives that, um, you know, Eben just, you know, passed me the ball and, and set me up with a perfect layup. But it's a real deep dive in the interconnectedness of the breath and the nervous system, our health, our food, and our performance that I highly recommend you check out. We'll link to it in the show notes for this show as well. So maybe when this show's over, you can go take a listen there. But once again, today, he and I dive into a lot of very human, highly relevant, and helpful stuff. I did not prepare for this show at all, but Eben and I had just chatted for two and a half hours on his show. I had a feeling that we'd fill the hour up, and the cool thing is, when I look back over the last 112 episodes, some of my favorites and some of the best and some of the most shared shows and the shows that I've gotten the most positive feedback around are those that I went in with absolutely no plan. I've just found that when you don't get in your head and you don't focus on what you lack in terms of preparedness, oftentimes, not only do things end up just going fine and, and dandy, but as far as podcasts go, honestly, they, the shows come out so much more organic and valuable to the listener because they're not premeditated and you just go with the wind and you let the conversation flow. And on today's show, you know, we give you guys a lot of just really open-hearted truths that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. And we kick off, honestly, talking about social media and some of the, you know, uh, emotional investments that we make in our social media. I know when I post about, you know, why heavy kettlebells are so important, I get heckled and I get the the trolls that say, what about form? And you're going to hurt, you know, people that don't know how to exercise. And, uh, you know, those things, they, they take a toll. You know, they take energy to to deal with. And when someone really comes at you, you know, it could really drive you crazy. And, and I think especially in this spiritual, mindful sort of community or, you know, anybody that's on the path, we can mistakenly get into this pattern where we don't allow our emotions to fully exist. You know, it's like blue light. It's like we block it at night because it's unnatural, but we don't pretend it doesn't exist. And I think when we think about like negative thoughts or anger these are very natural human emotions, and we've got to deal with them. And there's a book on this that I picked up years ago. It's called The Antidote by Oliver Berkman. And I have no idea why I bought it because when I did, I was coming out of like the, you know, the Tony Robbins school of thought where positive thinking counts for everything. And, 
you know, you're supposed to pretend the word impossible doesn't exist and, you know, all of these types of things. And I don't know why I bought it because the antidotes tagline is happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. And I was all about positive thinking, but needless to say, the book changed my life. It has been on the recommended reading list for my live events for over six years now. And it was really my first exposure into this idea of not only allowing a full spectrum of emotions to exist on the path of a more mindful life, but it 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 shows you the sort of importance of acknowledging those feelings, letting them exist, because they provide a launch pad and they provide the yin to the yang of your happiness. It's a really cool book, and, and I highly recommend you pick it up. We'll link to it over in the show notes as well. And uh, when you do get into it, um, you'll especially enjoy Chapter 6. Keep in mind the book was written sometime after 9-11. And in terms of 2020 and now 2021, the direction we're headed again, uh, Chapter 6 is going to be just uh, – it's an entertaining read. I just went through it again the other day. Anyway, in today's show. Eben and I chat about the human experience. We talk about tribalism, how our nature was nurtured through the centuries of living in small, tight-knit communities, and how isolation and loneliness can just destroy our health. We also tap into Eben's six seasons in the NFL and his experience in the sort of professional sports world as, of course, a healthy player, but also an injured player. It's It's a big part of how he became a cannabis advocate post-career because he faced a lot of challenges through his career and then afterwards coming out over his personal use of cannabis, which it's just riddled with ironies, right? Because the NFL is no different from really the rest of our world where it's totally cool to take a pile of dangerous pharmaceutical drugs that, you know, might be like a chemical sledgehammer to our brains, but but it's less cool to take a hit of a vape pen that might be, you know, uh, full of some THC or, uh, quote, drugs that have been proven to be highly anti-inflammatory, non-addictive, and, and a lot of the other kind of beneficial benefits, beneficial benefits, that doesn't really make sense. But anyways, I'll let Eben kind of explore this on this show just a little bit. And this has kind of been a long-winded intro. So... Please, guys, share this show around your Instagram and your Facebook. Put it up in your Instagram story. That is just so appreciated. It's one of the most helpful things that you can do for this podcast and any podcast that you love because it helps us reach more people, and that's what we're all in this for. We want to make an impact. Uh, if you want to text it to a friend, uh, you can just share them, coachjodi.com slash 112, coachjodi.com slash 112. Uh, and also, you're going to find the show notes there, along with links to everything that Eben and I discuss, including our former podcast together, that clip from Friday's show a few weeks back, and a whole lot more. And guys, because you guys are mostly a fit, athletic population, many of you are also coaches and trainers that are helping other people feel amazing, you're probably familiar uh, with the joint support formula or joint support ingredient called collagen. Consuming collagen is a no-brainer and has been a core ingredient to human health for literally thousands of years. If you don't know, collagen is the glue that holds our bones and joints together, and it's also one of the richest sources of an amino acid called glycine that's just really hard to find abundantly anywhere else. But it's not only amazing for our joints, but it's one of the most healing nutrients for our guts. 
But today, guys, there's one big problem with collagen, and that's that you're going to find it just about everywhere. It's an absolutely booming business. And these days, because of all that attention and focus on what would be the ancestral health benefits, quality and shortcuts are abundant. In fact, it doesn't matter if it's food, supplements, or anything else. Big business means big opportunity, and that almost always leads to a massive decline in quality and a massive magnification of the benefits. As they say, they don't make them like they used to, and that is absolutely true with ancestral foods. Most modern-day commercial collagens that you can find in just about everything are now produced from non-organic and conventionally raised animals, but they're, again, claiming all the benefits of pastured ancestral collagen. Consider the egg industry, for, for example. You know, we were taught for decades that eggs will give us heart disease and kill us, but it turns out only conventionally farmed eggs will give us heart disease and kill us because the fat content is completely different and dramatically worse for us than chickens that laid an egg when they were really healthy, robust, and, and long-lived. But what's worse with collagen is mainstream big market products aren't just using unhealthy animals to source their raw ingredients. They're also using useless and inexpensive parts of the animals like the hooves and the horns. These parts of the animal have to be highly processed with incredible amounts of heat, which destroys all of the beneficial agents and acids inside the collagen. In fact, to your DNA, they do not even resemble the ancestral living collagen that we evolved with. So if you want the healthiest and most vibrant joints, guts, bones, cartilage, collagen, blood vessels, skin, hair, and nails possible, you need to find and only consume minimally processed, what I would call living collagen. From a company that actually uses the most cartilage-rich areas of the innards of pastures, pastured 100% grass-fed animals. And the only place I know of to find that type of living collagen is from my good friends over at Ancestral Supplements. Ancestral Supplements brings us all New Zealand-sourced, nose-to-tail, organ-meats, bone marrow, and living collagen in simple, convenient gelatin capsules that are literally freeze-dried food, not supplements, not made in a lab. And for their collagen, they literally use a natural protease enzyme similar to what's already in your gut to break down protein, they use it to break down the non-cartilage materials around the collagen before they drop it in capsules. That is it. So guys, elevate your collagen game. Don't waste your money on imitations and visit ancestralsupplements.com or you can check out coachjodi.com slash ancestral for a special discount only for my listeners on ancestral living collagen and put back what a modern world has left out. And guys, just before we kick off this show, now that we are inching towards nicer weather and backyard barbecues, maybe even some 4th of July celebrations, it's time to ditch that old grill you've got sitting behind your house that you probably haven't even cleaned in a year. Traeger grills are by far the most advanced wood-burning grills on the market. These guys have been doing pellet grills for over 30 years and today have the firepower, the technology, the community and over 1,500 recipes on their app that you can program into your grill 
and ensure every single thing you cook this summer is cooked to absolute perfection. Right now, I look over at my neighbor's house, who's an awesome grill master, and he's got a great setup, but he's got three different grills, and they're taking up his whole patio with a new Traeger. You've got six-in-one versatility. You can grill, smoke, bake, roast, braise, and barbecue. In fact, you may never even turn on your oven again. And if you're like me, you can stock up on a bunch of different flavors of their pellets, hickory, mesquite, you name it, and flavor whatever you're cooking, whether it's fish, organ meats, or a rack of ribs, better than you'll find even at the most expensive restaurants. So if you guys are ready to up your backyard barbecue game, head on over to TraegerGrills.com slash stacked. That is T-R-A-E-G-E-R-G-R-I-L-L-S.com slash stacked. And at that very special link, you're going to have access to 0% financing and their latest and greatest deals. And of course, you can find these guys on Instagram as well at Traeger Grills, where they're always doing amazing live broadcasts with top-tier chefs and professional athletes. And of course, they're always posting amazing recipes and photos of just absolutely mouth-watering steaks and food. And all right, guys, before we all get too hungry, let's kick off this episode with the Mr. Eben Flow Eben, Britain, guys, I know you're going to dig it. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. You guys are awesome. When you dig this show, which I know you're going to, again, please share it around. Give us some love. Check out the Ebb and Flow podcast and make some way. Enjoy, guys. I just did your letting go meditation, and I was like, all right, I'm going to let go of having a plan for the Ebon podcast. We're just going to jump in. <laughs> so you're a, I love that. Dude, you're a gifted meditation leader. Thank you, man. Yeah, Thank man. Like, I'm super. That's a that's a huge compliment coming from you, a guy who I know meditates. and um, It just feels really organic, you know? Uh, I I love meditation is, is that tool that I'll spend the rest of my life working to perfect and working to go deeper in um, and and knowing there there really probably is no state of perfection in meditation. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about it and maybe people will think I'm totally nuts but I'll tell you this is this is fucking legit and this is the power of meditation and this is what it really is. So I'll give you the first, part of this, which is I'm a big fan of Ram Dass. I'm a big fan of Alan Watts. Those are, those are my two guys. You know, I listen to those talks pretty frequently from either one of them. And there's a movie that just came out about Ram Dass called Becoming Nobody. Highly recommend it. It's fantastic. It's really his core teachings. And uh, Ram is just so beautiful because I think in spirituality, there can be this tendency to move into this realm of of restriction. You get restrained by your spirituality. You know, you say, oh, I can't feel anger, or I can't feel lust, or I can't feel all of my animal primal instincts because I'm supposed to be spiritual. And in that in that movie, Ramdas talks about you know he would go to India and meditate with his guru. He'd spend like two weeks meditating in an ashram, you know, with gurus. Like he was traveling around the world doing all sorts of 
fucking pretty badass uh, yogic adventures. And he talks about how he's in this one ashram and he's meditating for like two weeks. And he said, <laughs> he said, the first day he sits down, he's in meditation and he starts meditating and he's going through the thing. He's following his breath. And he said he would get, just get so bored. He'd get so lost that he would end up in these like intense orgy fantasies, these like sexual odysseys. And he'd be like, fuck it. You know, here we are. I don't care. I'm meditating for two weeks. So that really kind of broke me open to this idea of meditation isn't about shutting your mind off. Meditation is about getting to a deeper understanding of yourself, right? It's about really clearing away the, the, the constant, you know, for me, it's a lot about there's a thing happening in me. My mind is going because our mind is always going to go. Your mind is going to go. But then there's this other voice that's kind of, there's this inner conflict of this other voice trying to make sense of the thinking that's happening. And, and a lot of that manifests itself in this constant struggle of not allowing yourself to feel things, not allowing thoughts to just move naturally etc. And a lot of that has to do with our cultural conditioning. So the other day, this week, I had this, I, I did a post on Instagram as I do. And I guess it was kind of charged. Most people really liked it and got a lot out of it. One guy decided that it was a complete affront to his belief system and his way of being. And he, he made this really long comment. And, uh, I, I usually do not engage with the comments. I don't. I've just, I, I've, we talked about this on our pod. It's just too much. It takes too much energy and there's no, there's no resolution. It's just like you're arguing with a robot. You might as well be arguing with a robot because there's no real debate happening on social media. So, but, but for some reason I was like, let's go. You know, let's go into this. Animalistic so tendencies. Go, yeah, man. I just let it rip. I let it fly. <laughs> so we ended up going back and forth a few times before he finally called it and said, hey, you know, I just want to remind you that I started this off saying I'm a huge supporter of you and et cetera. And let's just put this thing to rest. And I was like, sure, man, right on. So, but I'm like, there's this voice going I'm kind of pissed. I'm kind of pissed off because he like, <laughs> he challenged me. He made all these assumptions about me. He did the whole thing that we always get pissed off about. You know, he fucking challenged the, the struggle of my family lineage. He challenged like all, all the whole thing. It was fucking deep, you know? And I was pissed off. He called my, my shit frivolous. I'm like, dude, I don't do frivolous posts. You know, and I'm like, this motherfucker, you know, and so I'm feeling this. I wake up Saturday morning. I'm feeling okay. Like I'm feeling fine. I've kind of forgotten about it. I get into my day Saturday, go through my day, kind of like checking back in, thinking about it, going, Eb, if you only said this, Eb, if you said this, you would have got, <laughs> you would have gotten him, you know, and, uh, but like, let it go. 
you know, I'm a big, I'm a big practice. I love letting go. Letting go is my thing. That's my favorite practice of all with the breath. That's a great, just the breath is a great tool to help let go. Sunday morning comes around and I do my outside, I go outside, do my stretching, do my breath work. I come inside to hit my meditation. And here I am. I'm 10 minutes into my meditation and I'm fucking angry. I'm fucking angry at this guy. And I go, I'm in meditation and I go, you know what? Let's just let this run. Let's let this anger go. The warrior in me wants to come out. The warrior wants to be unleashed. So I just fucking let him out. And the warrior kills this guy in my meditation. I go through a whole exercise of killing this guy. And it's amazing. Like I fucking be, I go to battle with him, swords and all, and I fucking behead him and I gut him and I cut his limbs off. And the whole time I'm going, my rational mind is going, wow, you're really doing this, aren't you? Are you done yet? And the warrior just goes another thing, cuts an arm off, throws it to the lions, cuts a leg off, throws it to my dogs. And by the end, by the time the meditation ended, I put the dude's head on a stick outside my house. And it was amazing because I literally went, oh, I'm done. You know, because all of the shit that I had been doing, because I'll get into these spiritual grooves, right? Where I'm like, and I'm, I'm really on one right now. Uh, meditation, self-reflection, inner knowing, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And I'll really get into these spiritual grooves. And what I had done to myself was I'd gotten into such a spiritual groove that I was going, Eb, you can't be angry. You can't be angry. You have to put this anger down. You can't. You know, you're too spiritual to be angry about this. And that literally was doing me no good because I was getting angrier as time, as I was moving away from this experience. So in my meditation, I was like, okay, let's just let this thing run. Let's let this warrior out. He did his thing, visualized the ending, visualized an ending of this experience, and literally was able to let it all go and haven't thought about it since. And it was such a profound experience of the allowance of feelings and emotions to run. And what happens therein when you, are, when you give yourself that opportunity. And I was totally released from it. You know, and obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that I'm not fucking condoning hurting people. And I, I hurt no one. You know, that's kind of. I mean, I don't even know if I need to say that, but for someone who might be totally horrified at the thought of that, you know, that was kind Gentle of... Gentle listeners. Yeah, that was kind of my orgy in a way, you know, and I got... And it, and it totally released me from it. And it was such a profound experience of, you know, all of this is God and all of this is spirit that's happening in here. And it's really our rational mind just gets in the way and inhibits us from going to the next phase, if that makes sense. I don't know if any of that made sense, but, you know, man, meditation is just, it's so powerful. And it's not, you know, the more I do it, the more I realize it's not what we have been conditioned to believe it is, if that makes sense. Dude. 
Yeah, no, you um, you just tackled so much, and you're and you're so just unbelievably spot on. And I think as soon as people, when people start meditating, they think it needs to be a certain thing. Uh, it needs to look a certain way. The story about Ramdas, it's like training at the gym for the mirror. So in other words, like, you know, you got all sorts of, sh- you know, shit, but you're trying to make it look a certain way. And I think we're so conditioned to do that. And meanwhile, Ramdas is having an orgy with God knows how many people. And, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, so I think that it's just so beautiful and you, you tackled so much there. And I think it's, it's core to a lot of uh, my wife, Amelia's mindfulness teachings about letting feelings exist, letting them rise. I think one of the greatest examples I, Amelia and I have like hardly spent any time away since we've been, since almost the day we met. It was long distance for a while, but anyways, she's, we find out she's pregnant, but I have this thing. So I have to leave town for a couple of days, right? So I've known that she's pregnant for like a couple of, you know, days and I have to leave town for literally two nights. And so I'm in Chicago, I fly, fly out and she texts me, uh, like, you know, what was, I was on East coast time. And so it was like super late for me. And she's like, someone's trying to break in the house. And mm. literally, someone was trying to break break in the front door. It's literally like the first time that I've ever not been home and she's been home alone. It was just like this bizarro. Immediately, my mind Jeez. starts going like this was planned. Oh, yeah. This was like premeditated, like something's going on here. Uh, long story short, she called the cops. She got into the neighbor's, you know, she like got into the neighbor's house somehow. Like the neighbor came over, whatever happened. Everything was well and good. A few days later... Uh, I'm with a guy who who um, fancies himself as like extremely spiritual, <laughs> and I said like, you know, something like that. Motherfucker's just lucky I wasn't home, or you know, I said something to the to the you know the warrior in me. I've got a you know a, a pregnant wife. Just yeah, if I was in the house, like you know, not that I have a temper, but at a certain point, you have to protect your family. And this this person said something to the effect of not allowing those feelings. You know, it was if you're, mm. you know, something to the effect of like if you're spiritual, you should never have those feelings, or you should, you know, <laughs> you should immediately feel for the person who's trying to break into your house because who knows what they're going through. And there's this timeline where, just like you said, you can have compassion for the guy now. Um, because you allowed your feelings to exist. But I think the most dangerous thing that you kind of tapped into there isn't putting the guy's head on a stick, but I think it's the unknown, that energy that would have been in you from the Instagram guy. If you don't let it out, it might come out with your wife or with your kids or you know, totally. in, in some other way. So there's this like damning and it's one of the real core issues with this perceived spirituality, mindfulness, whatever, versus the human experience, which I think is is different than than the exercising for the mirror approach. Well, Joe, that's exactly what was happening. You know, I was finding myself over the course of that weekend getting frustrated with dumb, mundane bullshit with my daughter, with my wife. And it was like, I would go, I'm not upset about it. There's nothing here that I'm, this is this, this thing, this, this manifestation of like a little snap, a little annoyance, a little frustration, a little bit, uh, a little testy, 
it's all a manifestation of not allowing, not having dealt with this anger. You know, dude, I mean, that, you know, one of the interesting things about this is our cultures, Western cultures, denial of this exact thing, denial of feelings, denial of emotions, until it decides, of course, that, you know, the, the, the emotions and feelings in question uh, validate the narrative that's being spun. Um, but it's, but have you read the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger? No. Amazing book. Probably should, though. Amazing book. Yeah, it's a quick read. I highly recommend it in understanding the psychology of the human animal as it relates to our need for connection and community. And this guy spent time in war zones. He spent time, he documented all of this incredible information from ancient indigenous tribal cultures through to wartime, you know, wartime England, London, and interviews that were done with people who experienced the bombing of London and, and all sorts of other wartime experiences and how human beings really thrive being a part of a tribe. And he, narr he narrows that down to, it's something like, 150 to 200 people is really our network of connection that we're all sort of able to keep at one time. But he talks about how Native Americans, there was never any crime, murder, stealing, all sorts of things like this, murder in particular, were very rare occurrences in tribal cultures. Because they were, it was such a tightly knit community that if you did something to step out on your tribe or to dishonor your people, you were exiled or you were killed. And it wasn't until Native Americans were put onto reservations that the mythology, the stories of the skinwalkers began to emerge. And what the skinwalker was, was native men or women who had gone completely insane. And, you know, now we're, we've, we've taken them out of their teepees, out of their really tight-knit communities and isolated them on these big plots of land out in houses, etc. And so the skinwalkers would be these people who had gone totally insane and would, you know, sneak into a family's home in the middle of the night and kill the entire family. And it was because they had literally lost their mind through the isolation and the disconnection they had experienced that was unprecedented throughout tribal culture for millennia. So this thing, like in Western culture, we have fucking serial killers and murderers and all kinds of mental health issues. And really, I mean... It, it can be tied directly back to a, a handful of issues. Number one, isolation. Number two, the denial of natural human psychology and not being allowed to have certain feelings, whether that has to do with sexuality or, um, or anger and rage in particular. 
and there not being any outlets. There's no rites of passage to cement individuals in their adulthood and their transition into adulthood. And then you pile on top of that loads and loads of pharmaceutical and prescription medications, you know, and I think that, you know, if there's anything that we all should begin to practice or incorporate into our daily routine, it's meditation in this day and age, because if we're going to live in the way we live, and, you know, COVID or not, hey, Texas, open the fuck up, huh? That's exciting. Really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Way to set the way yeah. to set the standard and the wave, the river of energy. Yeah. You know, we have to, if we're not going to be able to develop a relationship with the external world the way that is sustainable for our mental and physical well-being, we better start cultivating a relationship, a deep relationship with our internal world. And that has a lot to do with ancient practices as well. I mean, that's why every, every tribe had medicine men and shamans and, you know, high priests. And it was all based in this ancient esoteric knowledge of going within to find the truth so that you could be the greatest version of yourself for your community, your people the world right on brother and i think that i think there's a there's again like there's just so much there and i think there's there's two pieces i'll i'll kind of tack on here um number one i think you're you're spot on with the the size of the tribe and the size of the community aristotle had a, a similar uh number in terms of you know this is the maximal size of a of a effective community and after that the wheels are going to start coming off and uh, I think I, I do predict, especially in the educational system, that there's going to be, you know, schoolhouses again sometime where there's, you know, 15 kids and all the parents know each other popping up or whatever. But yeah. I think there's two important pieces here that that are important to the conversation. And that's number one, this tribalism also breeds purpose because when you have a tribe of 150 people, everyone has a role. And so I think that, you know, even if you watch, you know, movies or, you know, anything, read books, fiction, if someone in the tribe doesn't have or doesn't feel or can't get into their purpose or find it or, or own it, they're the ones that go crazy. They're the ones that, that lose their mind or they're the ones that are, you know, laughed at because they become their own worst enemy and their vulnerabilities or, or what have you. So I think that number one, the when the tribes are smaller, when you have your tribe, and I guess the closest thing is, you know, religion or CrossFit these days. But, um, <laughs> but I think the yeah. other big piece that I think people just don't realize, and it ties into the the book we chatted about on your show, Power Verse Force, and that's that this is more hardwired into our system than people realize. So, in a recent conversation with, well, not that recent, but a conversation with Paul Check, he chatted about how. Back in the day, if the hunters or the gatherers, whoever went out and found like a stash of bananas, uh, if if somebody tried to stash like a modern day poker face, right? Weakness when we're lying, not being truthful to our tribe, is hardwired. And so when you don't tell the truth or don't align with your truth, you become internally destructive at yes. the same time. And that becomes a bigger weakness. So I think that in, in some of the tribes and societies you're talking about, 
lying had a larger penalty than like, you know, almost anything else or not being truthful. Oh, yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting. And, and the last thing I'll say, I think it was power verse force. He talked about how we know, you talked about inner knowing, we know truth when we see it. I yeah. think Hawkins talks about how you can literally muscle test somebody standing in front of an original painting or a print and they will not consciously, but subconsciously know yeah. which one, if they're tuned in, tapped in and you're muscle testing them appropriately, you could actually identify a fake versus a real painting just by muscle testing somebody because the energy that we don't even see or understand is telling us the truth that most people now, because of conditioning and all the stuff you mentioned are so far from that inner knowing or feeling that, you know, it's, it's just, you know, hitting a utilitarian, <laughs> you know, tin man or something, but, um, it's all there, man. Joe, you're so, it's so interesting talking to you, Joe, because when we talked last time, I had just done a podcast with my brother. And then after we talked, I did an, the second part of that conversation with my brother, which is all about cultural insanity and spirituality. And exactly what you're saying is how we kicked off the second talk. It was all about authenticity and truth. And Alan Watts talks about this too. He talks about how as an audience member, when you're watching theater, or you're watching an actor, you immediately know when they're coming from an authentic place or when they're putting on an act, say. And like you said, we have this, there's a thing inside of us. There's this, it's a very deep source of wisdom and truth that seeks out and understands when something is dishonest or inauthentic or not true. And, you know, I think that that really hits for me on on perhaps the most maybe the most important thing of my life, which has been honesty and truth in my words, my actions and my way of being, because throughout my life, without fail, if I lie if I do something that is dishonest, if I do something and try to lie, to lie about it, if I'm acting inauthentically to what my spirit is telling me, it creates these disruptions in my energy field, in my functioning mechanism that really fuck me up. They fuck me up more than the lie was worth telling or more than the thing was worth doing that I'm now trying to hide or, you know, whatever it is. And it's so interesting you say that, man, because exactly right. I mean, in ancient cultures, you couldn't get away with that. You know, it was so important. Honesty and truth were so important. I was reading a book. I've read so many books over the last year and a half that I, I, they all kind of muddled together. But what's been really interesting is that since all of these books are, have been books that I've been brought to by the universe, they all seem to be synergized in some way or another with the information that they're giving and the context that they provide for each other. And it was talking about that exact thing, 
how lying, there was a time when lying and dishonesty was as, as grave a crime as you could commit. It was, it was the ultimate crime. I mean, that was, it was not tolerated whatsoever, you know, and we've kind of, we've gotten into this flow as a, people, people just walk around lying about who they are, what they do, how much money they make, you know, fucking, you get the, in LA, it's super, you know this, man, people love to have the shiny fast car, but they live in the fucking box in the valley, you know, out in Van Nuys, you know, no disrespect to Van Nuys, I love it to death, but you know, it's just like, dude, you're, you're, you look like you walked out of Beverly Hills, but you fucking just drove down from, you know, wherever. Um, and, uh, you know, meditation for me has been bringing it back to meditation because meditation is, is this very clear path to inner truth, to the source of your being, to who you are and what the fuck you're about. And that was a big part of my healing process coming out of the NFL, coming out of being a football player, being in this warrior world for so long. I mean, basically, since I was a teenager, you know, I turned 13, freshman year of high school, started playing football. And it was a straight line trajectory. I had always dreamed of playing in the NFL. And, uh, Everything I did, how I carried myself, how I ate, how I slept, how I trained, how I lived was all about, all in alignment to achieve that dream of playing in the NFL. And then all of a sudden, after doing it for 15 years, day in, day out, I wake up one day and I'm not there anymore. I don't have the itinerary showing me my day-to-day schedule from 6.30 in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. Now I've got to figure out who I am what I'm doing with my life, every relationship I had had from my wife to my brother and my mother and father to all of my friends, every relationship I had was, was in relation to me being an NFL football player, being an athlete, being a professional athlete. People paid bills for me. People went grocery shopping for me. People did everything I needed, you know, I basically just had to make sure that my body was taken care of and I was giving it everything I had on the field every day. And so coming out of that, I was like in a complete state of chaos. The tidal wave of my life came crashing over me two years out of that. You know, all the mistakes I had made, all the lies, all the shit that I had done to, because I didn't have to think about it. I was in this, I had achieved this dream, and here I am. I had thought that achieving the dream would have made me happy. I'd climbed to the top of this mountain, and then it was like, now what? Wait, I thought I was going to be happy here. I'm still unhappy. I have all the money I could ask for, all the access. I got the house. I got the car. I got all the shit. But here I am, and I'm still not content. Fuck. What do I do now? You know, and so, and football was a love-hate, man, because the the nature of football is to constantly be overriding the pain mechanism, the natural pain mechanism. You wake up every day, your neck hurts, you got a headache, your shoulder's killing you, 
probably need surgery on it. You've got sciatic nerve damage running down your right leg. You can't feel your foot on the ground. Your feet hurt. But there you go. You got to get up again. Pop some pills. Do whatever you got to do. Get in the hot tub. Get in the ice tub. Go lift some weights. Get out onto the field and be at your highest uh, productivity level. And year, day in, day out, man, all of a sudden you come out of that life and you don't even know what the fuck you're feeling anymore. You don't know what you, 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 it's like, like you're talking about, man. The pulse of yourself is so far down the chain. You now you've got to, okay, let's, let's clean this up. Let's take that. Let's, let's polish that a little bit. Need to clear this shit out. All this gunk. All this fucking fluff that was keeping you together. <laughs> and how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you go about doing that? Meditation. Uh, for me, plant medicine has been super beneficial. Psychedelics, cannabis, super helpful. Yoga. Thank God I had the parents I had, you know, because I had two pretty wild, holistically minded people as my mom and dad you know, who knew, who really looked at life, who were both lifetime athletes, who looked at it as food is medicine, exercise to be well, drink plenty of water, and use whatever natural means are available before going to a doctor to be prescribed something, you know, and that served me really well. I mean, I went, I've had the deep, intimate experiences of what the pharmaceutical shit does. I've, I've done the opiates. I've done the Adderall. I've done the, all the fucking antidepressants. I've done it all. Gotten the injections, all that shit. And I realized, you know, 99% of all of that doesn't do anything. Doesn't get you out of pain. Doesn't help you heal. In fact, some of it, most of it, inhibits the healing process. So, okay, let's get back to square one. Let's come back to zero before we can go anywhere. And that was a big, that was really what my life after football was about, was getting back to zero, hitting rock bottom, going, okay, let's start from scratch and let's do this thing. I don't know if any of that made sense, but. Dude, no, it's, it's wonderful, man. And I think that there's, um, I'd love to hear more like about that, about that journey and that sort of, I think people obviously on a, on a, you know, various pretty broad spectrum go through this all the time. And I think sports are just an extreme example. Like, you know, I used to work with baseball guys and baseball, I don't remember all the stats now, but like the number of guys that are drafted into MLB every year, it's it's like in you know in the thousands and the majority of them will never see an inning and so i think for you it's you know at least you you know you climbed to the top of the mountain and had that effect and i think in baseball and other sports a lot of guys that put in some of the work never hit that top of the mountain and then they're even more lost because they didn't even achieve their totally. purpose and i think it's a mass and you you throw on head injuries and and things like that and pharmaceutical addictions and it's it's no wonder the wheels fall off for a lot of guys after they they do this and i think that people you know i've seen athletes that you know can't participate in their recreational sports anymore have similar letdowns cuz we invest even if it's even if it's an education we invest you know amelia i joke is the most educated 
mindfulness instructor ever. She's, you know, went to law school, went to UT law, you know, just in time to figure out she doesn't want to be a lawyer. And so I think a lot of times we, we kind of put so much, so many eggs in the basket and, you know, then we wrap, you know, our ego or identity around this thing that we are and then the thing falls away and it's, you know, now we're, like you said, we're at square zero or, you know, I think one of the dangers too is people that never let them hit, let themselves hit rock bottom because I think some people just, they stay in purgatory. They don't, I think at some point, and you see this in, you know, uh, drug addicts that like try to kill themselves or, you know, do something insane. They truly hit rock bottom. And then all of a sudden they rebound to this amazing place. But I think there's a lot of people that, that kind of are, are circling the toilet that never actually get to that point that would otherwise ricochet them out of it perhaps. But I'm, I'm, Yes, I'd love to hear more about that, like two years post NFL, and and kind of finding yourself if there's anything to add, because I think it's we can we can all as listeners here kind of translate it to what we're dealing with in our life, uh, and and on whatever scale that we're we're dealing with an identity crisis of some sort. I mean, a lot of people are out of work; they got to find a new job. They've been, you know, they've been running a gym, but now they're like, man, I better go sell insurance. So, what do you <laughs> what do you think, like? Where else can we go? Oh, my God, dude. Um, Well, it was really interesting because, like I said, I had this love-hate relationship with it. I loved football because it was this therapy. It was this vehicle of catharsis with all of my inner rage and anger from my childhood growing up in in an alcoholic family and dealing with verbal, emotional, physical abuse throughout my childhood. Believe it or not, I definitely dealt with bullies, even as the biggest kid, um, on top of that. And, uh, so football was really this vehicle for me to escape, to transcend, to get out of the darkness. There was a lot of darkness in my childhood. And I realized really quickly when I started playing that, oh, I could take out all of this rage and violence on other people and I'm celebrated for it. Hell, I'm being, people love me for this. I'm, I'm climbing this ladder. I'm getting scholarship offers from every D1 school in the country, like telling me they'll pay for me to come to school. Then I'm like on really high on draft boards in college. And it's just, you know, it just kept perpetuating itself. And this vehicle was carrying me through on my destiny path. This thing that I'd set in my mind's eye from the time I was probably like eight years old. Honestly, my mom would never let me play. I saw I was at my grandparents' house in Connecticut. I was about eight years old watching the news one summer and they had the Jets and the Giants training camp clips on, on the sports segment. And I watched that and I said, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be when I grow up. And my mom would never let me play. Finally, my freshman year of high school convinced her with the help of my dad to let me play football. And it was a straight line trajectory. And I was surrounded by great people. And the coaches were like, Ed, you're gifted with the size. If you work your ass off, you can play on Sundays. You'll buy your mom a house. You'll do anything you want. Everything you've ever dreamed of, you could have it. I was like, all right, fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. So I did it. And um, 
I loved it and I hated it because I'm a super sensitive dude. I'm a super sensitive guy. From the time I was a little kid, my dad said to me, Eb, you're a really sensitive guy. You're really sensitive. And it's true. <laughs> it's totally true, man. So football hurts. Football really hurts. It's violent. It's maybe the most violent sport you can play other than fighting, MMA or boxing. And it wreaks havoc on your body. Not only that, football, I left an alcoholic family to join, to, to totally immerse myself in an alcoholic sport. You know, everyone in, in football, coaches, front office people, owners, players, etc. They're all addicts of, of some kind or another. And the, 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 the drug that gets everyone the most high is the ego trip that we're all on being there. You know, you're making millions of dollars doing this thing. You're fucking, you're big shit, dude. You know, every guy there is probably the superstar from his town. Every coach there. Now I have a little bit of a, uh, you know, I have a thing about coaches and I think there's something interesting about coaching, especially if you're a guy who never played and you're finding yourself coaching football, especially in the NFL. Like what's going on here, dude? You want to control yeah. people. You want to control right. big, strong guys, don't you? <laughs> you have some weird fucking thing going on there. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this love hate thing, right? And I, and that really grew. And and by the time I was at you, I went to the University of Arizona. I wanted to be a part of building a championship uh, caliber program. The team hadn't been to a bowl game in 10 years. I wanted to be one of the first. I wanted to be one of those teams to get Arizona back to a bowl game. I love Mike Stoops. I love the offensive line coach. Shout out Eric Wolford. Uh, shout out the receivers coach who was my recruiter, Charlie, Will Charlie Williams, who was excellent. Great group of coaches. And also Arizona had a creative writing program. And I could major in creative writing. And somewhere along the line, I decided that I wanted to be a writer. That was kind of the underlying current that's carried me out of that, out of that life, out of my football life. And Arizona has a creative writing program, maybe the best in the world. So I said, yeah, that's my place. Go to University of Arizona. Uh, I redshirt my freshman year, which means I don't play, which was a blessing because I got to just lift weights and gain experience and get big and strong and fast. and. Um, Came in, started my redshirt freshman year the next year. Started the next year, my redshirt sophomore year. By my by the time I was going into my redshirt junior year, I was being courted by agents. Uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper, the two big dogs in the draft world, and the draft mock draft world had me really high in the top 35 picks, 40 picks. Some had me as high as in the top 10. Some had me down in like, you know, as low as maybe like in the low 40s, which is the early second round. I got, I ended up being picked 39th overall by the Jags in the second round. And I left early. I left after my redshirt junior year. I had one more year to play because I knew there was this thing in me that said, Eb, you're on a running clock here with football. I don't know how much longer I could do it. I was already kind of fed up with going to school and 
playing football, being a student athlete is one of the toughest grinds on the planet. Because not only do you have to make sure you're getting the grades to keep yourself eligible, and beyond that, you know, as a competitive person, you don't want to just get the fucking bare minimum C average. You know, you want to take classes that you're going to get something out of and you want to give it what you got. And you're expected to do as well as you possibly can, but you're also expected to perform at the highest possible level. And that was really running me down. And I had this dream and I was like, I'm ready to fucking roll. So I left after my, uh, my, my redshirt junior year. I had one year left. It was kind of controversial. Got picked up 39th overall. Had a great rookie year. Next year came in, suffered this herniated disc right before my second season. Really fucked me up. That year, working through that, I dislocate my shoulder. Have to have shoulder surgery while dealing with this dick, this dick injury. <laughs> this disc, <laughs> this disc injury. Kept one foot on um, college campus, one foot on the college campus. <laughs> had this herniated disc. <laughs> herniated dick. What would that be like? Um, so, I want to know. So I started suffering some injury. My body started breaking down, man. So anyway, that's a whole thing. That's a whole other podcast, my injury history and and, uh, my NFL career. So finally, it's my last year. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. A number of things had happened. My appendix exploded. I had to have an emergency appendectomy my last year in Chicago. Uh, which was my sixth season in the NFL. And the universe was really saying, Ed, you know, I think it's time to move on. Like we've done everything we had to do here. And uh, this is, this is starting to kill you is it was the message. And it took a little, it took a minute. Um, you know, that six season ended, I was still considering another year, but something was just telling me I even had had a moment during that season in the film room, watching film of practice. This was my last year in the Bears. It was after the appendix thing. And I'm sitting there watching the film going, what the fuck am I doing here now? What am I doing here? You know, I used to want to kill this guy, this defensive end that I'm watching myself go up against. And now I don't I don't have any urge to do that. I like that guy. That (laughs) dude's my friend. You know, I'm not I don't have that killer instinct. I don't want to be here anymore. What am I doing? I could be spending my time doing something else. So I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Chicago after that season, Chicago says they're not interested in re-signing me. Uh, and I start the process of coming to terms with being done playing football. I thought that day would never come. I didn't know. I thought I'd just be playing football forever at, at one point. And here I was, and I, it was the universe was kept just showing me it's time to be done. It's time to move on. So I said to my wife, I think I'm done. She goes, and, and I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I going to do? My wife goes, well, it's time to write your book. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that. So I start this process of 
my football agent hands me off to a literary agent. I write this big book proposal, pitch it to publishers, got a lot of good feedback. Everyone liked it, but they had either filled their, their sports book quota or they wanted something more red carpet. Um, and the process, I think what's more, we could talk more about that, that sort of trajectory coming out of football professionally, but emotionally and spiritually, there was this process of coming, deciding I was done, the relief that came with that, because here I am like, finally, I'm done. You know, this love-hate relationship, I was finally just allowing myself to move on. So there was a lot of relief. Then there came a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. I'd be talking to people about, hey, yeah, I played football in the NFL for six years and uh, I'm done playing. And they'd say, why? You're so young. Why are you quitting? And that would fill me with shame and guilt. And I had always had this idea that I was going to play 10 years in the NFL. And I had played six. So I had this lingering thought of, Maybe I didn't give it everything I had. Maybe I didn't do enough. All of that. And it just, and that started to build. And then I had the moment where I woke up one day, maybe a year out of my football career. And I, I looked around and I said, "Wow, what the fuck am I doing now? What am I doing here? I was smoking a lot of weed. I didn't really have a purpose. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I had been writing, but, you know, and I thought, hey, I've been one of these guys. I thought that writing would be my life after football, but it's just a lot more complicated than that. You know, it's just not that simple. You're not just going to leave this thing. Your nervous system has been programmed for 15 years in this cyclical, uh, merry-go-round of getting ready for the season, playing the season, coming down from the season, getting ready for the season, playing the season, coming down from the season, constantly over and over again for 15 years. And here I was, and now all of a sudden I didn't have that anymore at all. And yeah, I'd go to the gym for two hours and lift weights and hit the Stairmaster and do all kinds of stuff to, you know, get that that physical pump, but my mind was in chaos. My emotions were in chaos. My nervous system was in complete chaos. And I just had no idea what to do with myself. And slowly but surely, thank God, we had enough money to buy a house here in LA and just enough money to get us about a year of living before we had to start making money again. And in that time, my wife, my wife's an attorney. She's a total badass. She started her own practice doing estate plans, wills, and trusts. So it afforded me, I got this little buffer to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And I jumped into everything, you know, cannabis really organically came about. One of the first pieces of writing I pub published was with sportsillustrated.com. They have this editorial section called The Cauldron, where I talked about dealing with injuries, all the prescription pills, and then cannabis, and talking about how cannabis had been really healing for me during my career. That led into a lot of speaking. 
the first cannabis conference I ever went to was with uh, one, of, one of my lifetime heroes, this guy named Kyle Turley, who was an all-pro offensive tackle. Played for the Rams, the Saints, and the Chiefs. And he had been the tip of the spear in this cannabis for NFL players movement because he had really seen how it was the one thing he could use that quelled all of the concussion symptoms that he had been experiencing and was taking all kinds of prescription pills for. So he says, hey, Eb, I'm going out to Phoenix next week. I'm putting together a cannabis and football conference. I'd love, I, panel, I'd love for you to be there to speak and tell your story. I said, hell yeah, dude. I mean, this is, this is one of my lifetime, my childhood heroes, a guy that I literally formulated myself after as an offensive lineman telling me to come and join him on this thing. And at that time, cannabis had been a very, I used cannabis throughout my football career. It was really the one thing when I, I knew the pills were making me feel like shit, making me feel crazy, waking up at three o'clock in the morning with withdrawal symptoms, shooting pains in my gut, cold sweats, chills, all that stuff, being on a hair trigger of rage and insanity. Cannabis was something, was the complete opposite of that. I could come home, smoke a little cannabis. The, the physical and mental stress I was under was decompressed. I could get a good night's sleep. I could wake up the next day feeling recovered. So as an athlete, we're very intuitive about what we're putting in our body and how that's making us feel. And my whole life has been about that relationship in many ways. So I always just ran with that and I followed that and I followed my instincts on that. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still under the assumption that cannabis was this illegal street drug that I couldn't afford to have my coaches know I used because I was a team captain and a team leader. And I was always the guy that coaches looked to to set the example for everyone else. So I always kept my cannabis use very private. So when Kyle asked me to do it, I was like, hell yeah. Something intuitively told me. You should definitely go share your story. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like or why it was important, but I was down because I've always been, I've always followed where the universe takes me, you know, for better or worse. And so I went to this conference. I finished giving my spiel about how cannabis, I feel cannabis helped me during my football career. And I'm looking around this room of 500 to 700 people. And everyone from car crash survivors to cancer survivors to military veterans to these families with uh, children who suffer these severe seizure syndromes, who have all experienced miracles, medical miracles through the, the healing power of cannabis. I'm going, fuck, man, this is a big deal. And Kyle starts talking. And he immediately leads off with the federal government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. And my fucking whole life experience is crystallized and validated in a moment. And I go, what? The federal government, the same institution that has demonized and scheduled cannabis as a schedule one narcotic, which means it has no medicinal benefit whatsoever, can't be researched. They have seen through scientific studies that the chemical compounds found in this plant actually help protect the brain from damage and can help the brain heal. 
that blew my mind. And that lit this fire in my heart and my soul of seeking out the truth, learning as much about the science and the history of this plant as I possibly could. He then went on to talk about every, every living creature on this planet has an endocannabinoid system. And our bodies are literally built to interact with the, the cannabinoids, the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant. And even more so than that, we create our own cannabinoids. And the endocannabinoid system is involved in processes like our appetite, our mood, how we feel and deal with pain, and our sleep rhythms. So all of that to say that we life is full of adversity, highs, lows. At times we feel so low, we almost don't know how it could be possible that we might make our way out of it. But to have faith in the universe or God's plan, to trust that, to dive, to be willing to dive into your truth, to be willing to follow the signposts that are provided for you, whatever that might look like, is how I found my way out. You know, and slowly but surely, I met this new community of athletes who had all found healing in cannabis. And I created this organization called Athletes for Care with a, a, a handful of other NFL players and UFC fighters and NHL players and Olympians and men and women who have all experienced this, this uh, power of, of holistic natural healing through plant medicine. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, just sort of one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, just kept following my instincts, following where the universe was taking me. I remember way back in my NFL career, how much I enjoyed talking with guys in the locker room about all sorts of stuff and thinking to myself, man, one day I'd like to have a job where I just talk to people for a living. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, in conjunction with that, also my last few years in Jacksonville, I got to know the, the music director of the local NPR station and he gave me my own radio show called the number 73, where I'd take playlists of music And I'd combine them with poetry readings and excerpts from books and all sorts of literary readings. And I'd make a theme. And that was my show, The Number 73. And, uh, you know, there I go in my life after football and I work my way into podcasting. And just keep following it, man, you know. And it it seems to be coming together, you know. and it's painful. It's difficult. It looks like shit sometimes. <laughs> uh, but the one thing that just keeps me keeps me going is to have faith in the process and reminding myself, hey, man, remember when you had this dream of playing in the NFL? That took you 10 years of hard work, discipline, And that was a straight line trajectory because you knew exactly where you were going and how to do it. Now, you don't know where you're going and you don't know exactly what you want to do yet, 
So this is going to take some time, period. So be patient with yourself and just be willing and open to go where the universe takes you. Brilliant, man. And I think that, um, gosh, I mean, I think just a period at the end of that sentence is, is probably all I could offer, but I, I resonate just today, you know, I was explaining something to a friend and, and he explained that, you know, it, it takes fire to mold gold, right? It takes fire to, to make gold into something. And, uh, he put it more eloquently and nicely, but, um, I think people, you know, they might, they might kind of see, you know, people tend to see that like this dude was an NFL player. Now he's a podcaster. I just found out today that you're on Mike Tyson's podcast as well. So you're, you're, you're busy. I literally didn't even know that, but, um, I think people like look and think it's just like one, one plus one is two. And, and in reality, they don't realize the journey, the fire, the, the faith that you need to preserve and, and keep in yourself and your soul so that you can make it through these challenging times. And, and to also not, you know, uh, you know, I think a lot of people might've said like, oh shit, like if I go talk at this cannabis conference, it's going to kind of out me for, you know, using cannabis all those years. And all of a sudden my sterling reputation down at the, you know, the Jaguars and the bears is going to be out the window and, and get really in their head about it. But you followed, you had courage. And I think that that's just, uh, you know, that's that, that, that ingredient that you've got and that warrior spirit. It's just beautiful, man. Like I was like, man, I hope he doesn't throw me the ball right now. Cause I want him to just keep going on that because that was, <laughs> I just think that everyone listening is, is just so grateful for that sharing, man. And, uh, the journey is just a beautiful thing and so great. Yeah, man. So great. I appreciate that, dude. Yeah, there was definitely doing all of that. I remember having a conversation with my with a good friend of mine from college after I had gone down the cannabis route. I was like, you know, man, I feel like I've alienated myself from my whole football world. And he was like, uh, yeah, you have. <laughs> And that had been a point of anxiety for me, like you said, as I ventured into that world. The only thing I was following was just speaking my truth, one, one panel at a time, one moment at a time. And the whole time I'm going, man, you know, now my high school coaches are going to know I'm, I'm this guy. All my coaches, every coach I've ever had is going to know I'm this guy. All the fans, all the young people who look up to me are going to know this guy. But all of that, all of that uh, anxiety was completely obliterated when I started going back into these past relationships and my coaches would say, Eb, I'm super proud of you. Thank you for speaking your truth. It's so true what you're saying. Having old team doctors call me up and say, Eb, you're really the tip of the spear in this cannabis for athletes movement. I've stopped prescribing you guys the opiates because I see the wreckage it's doing. And I'm really open to CBD and cannabis and this whole uh, natural-based healing. I was like, fuck. It's just a testament to having the courage to speak your truth, even if maybe it's not speak your truth, live in your truth, whatever it is, man, like that's all we have to give. You know, that's kind of the only thing the universe requires of us 
That's my little, that's my new puppy. He's fucking. I don't know <laughs> if just, you can hear you know, him. Look at this, right? Oh, I hear him. It's, um, but like, just look at how messed up this is. And I think, first of all, I, I, I used the, um, I used the word courage a few minutes ago and it's, it's, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do what you do, but like how messed up is it that if you are on the NFL in the NFL locker room, taking a laundry list of, uh, of prescription drugs, powerful brain altering physiology, changing drugs, like you're cool, you fit right in, but there's this intense anxiety if you admit to using a drug that works and it's just this conditioning, I think that's created a scenario where that is our reality. We actually depend no one speaking their truth. Right. And it's, it's burrowing us down this, this hole. Like you said, the damn federal government has the patent. So while they were daring us and, and, and conditioning us that this was evil and pharmaceuticals are necessary, they went, they were doing the roundabout play. Right. But, I think that uh, it just speaks to the state of this sort of world where guys like you have to have to kind of build just incredible courage to speak your truth. But the damage being done by the conventional way of going about maintaining player, I don't want to call it health, but like maintaining players on the field, it's it's just a, a big broken thing. And so, man, hey, man, just grateful for you. And I just hope that uh, you know, athletes for care is what your organization is called. Yeah, yeah, athletesforcare.org. You can check that out. Friggin' pioneer, man. Hey, man, I appreciate it, dude. Well, you know, it's like uh, once you understand something fully and you know the truth and you've seen the reality, there's no unseeing it. So it doesn't really matter at this stage what anybody could tell me about something like cannabis as medicine because I know way too much. And it's like, I, even from the, you know, Oh, well you talk about it and that makes kids think that they should do it. It's like, no, no, that's not at all. It you're not, you're coming from a complete place of fear and you're not looking at the science, you know, that we, we like, we like the science. And you're not paying attention to the reality of this thing, of this issue. And I know way more than you could possibly ever try to convince me about saying whatever negative effects cannabis has. Yes, it's a powerful medicine. It's a potent, potent medicine that's been used for tens of thousands of years, probably since the inception of life on earth. I mean, man and cannabis have you know, walked hand in hand for millennia, you know, and this plant has literally through demonization, uh, being made completely illegal propaganda, um, stigmatization, etc. It continues to reveal itself to be an aid to man and, and to humans in, in, in all facets of its manifestation from as a food the hemp seeds are extremely nutritious uh the plant itself people you people juice 
like whole flower cannabis for all sorts of things. It's loaded with antioxidants and all kinds of good stuff, terpenes, etc. The cannabinoids themselves are nature's healing agents. I mean, it's mind blowing. You know, even even the discussion, you know, when I first started doing this, there was a big movement, especially in the in the professional athletes community with really leaning on the CBD aspect of the plant and saying, oh, it's great for anti it's you know, it's a great anti-inflammatory. It's great for X, Y and Z. It's it's it doesn't get you high. It's non psychoactive. And it's like, that's cool. And that's, yes, that's all true. But THC, the thing that gets you high, is also super medicinal. THC is actually the, the compound that they've seen through scientific studies that it actually goes in there and it cleans up all the neurons. The amyloid plaque that develops through subconcussive hits and after concussions and that people with Alzheimer's and dementia, their brains are laced with this amyloid plaque all over their brain cells. THC is the compound that goes in there, it breaks through the blood-brain barrier, and it actually goes in there and scrubs those things clean. It wipes away that amyloid plaque. And that is super powerful. And what's wrong, and that's another part of our, I don't know if it's the puritanical Western ideology, but what's wrong with feeling good, being happy, having a laugh while you're in pain? You know, like, why do we need to uh, just numb ourselves into oblivion? Is that the idea of, of how we're supposed to deal with pain? No, pain is a great teacher. Like everything else we feel, you know, to go back to the beginning of this conversation, our feelings are teachers and they're messengers from beyond, as, as the great Rumi once said. And, you know, it's really important for us to develop a relationship with all of that, that whole flow of feelings, emotions, and thoughts. And cannabis helps with that, man. Cannabis for me was always this, this entity that brought me back to center. I could be spun out in all sorts of directions, in pain, in ego, in identity, etc. And cannabis would just obliterate it all and bring me right back to the center of myself. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. That's why people talk about having a bad trip. I mean, if you take too much THC, you're going to go to fucking, you're going to have a, an, an underworld experience. You know, <laughs> you're going to have a, a really deep, intense experience of yourself. And sometimes that's necessary, you know, um, especially if you've gone your whole life without acknowledging the things that. Or your programming, or your deep programming, right. you know, and that's really the power of all the plant medicine, right? Right, and and to bring this full circle, in the very least, to kind of stop the orgy from going on, right? So there's like a. Uh, I think that you know a lot of folks they're just so like we spoke about on your show, you know, they're we're so sympathetic, we're in this sympathetic overdrive, and you know, THC and cannabis is that's going to push you into the parasympathetic zone quicker than any box breathing or anything else. Not that obviously those things are great, but I think that there's a certain, 
there's a certain place for something that can give you a head start. And, I'm, you know, I think responsible doses and things have a, an absolute place just to kind of clear some of the noise and, and just look a little bit more objectively at things sometimes, right? And obviously that's a sliding scale as well. But I think that uh, I think that in the state of the world right now, I mean, it'll definitely get you out of fear. And I think that's where so many people are stuck. And um, anyway, awesome, man. Awesome. Definitely, dude. Awesome stuff, Evan. Super awesome, Joe. Hey, brother. We're going to put a stamp on this podcast, and I want to do another one because I've got like 50 other things I want to go into, but we won't keep you all night. But this has been just such a great hour. We've spent how many hours on the phone with each other in the past week? I don't know. That's like four. I think like four. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know, dude. And there will be more. Absolutely, man. This is it's a ton of fun chatting with you. So, uh, in the show notes for this episode, we're going to link to the show we did together. Uh, we may, even, we may even drop it on stacked. And and that was a long one where we covered so much stuff that this show easily could have gone into a lot of the subjects that we, that we chatted about yeah. on that show. So I was trying to keep that, uh, in check because I think that show, if, if folks enjoyed this one, they're going to absolutely love that one. Um, I've been brother, is there anything we didn't cover that we want to, we want to wrap this up with? No man, yeah. I think that's that's good for this this round. Yeah, and then of course we'll do it again. Hell we'll yeah, we'll do it again for sure. You'll come on the ebb and flow. I'll come back on stacked, and we'll fuck it. We'll just we'll we'll do it all whenever, man. Yeah. That's a ton of fun, and and you know for again our listeners, your pod is is absolutely awesome. The meditations, I know you just transferred those over to uh, Patreon, so they're only for your subscribers over yeah. there now, but fantastic stuff. Even if, if folks somehow don't get over to your Patreon, there's enough in your ebb and flow for them to, to really, um, you know, I'll tell you a quick story real fast. I was in, uh, as you know, I just did a year in Europe and um, so funny, man, you had a pod. I was, Amelia was like getting a haircut or, you know, doing something and um one of your guided podcasts I was I was just listening to in the car and it was so funny because I knew uh, she had the oh she had the baby so maybe I don't know I don't remember what she was doing but I knew that she was going to need to like pop the trunk and and um, you know put the baby carriage in and I don't remember how long this particular uh, meditation was you were leading. But I was like, I'm gonna sit in this damn driver's seat. I'm gonna actually pop the trunk now because I know she'll see it. And she won't like, if I'm like in this, she's not going to like tap on the window and like, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm parked, uh, in the garage. We lived on the, um, uh, we lived on the floor below her folks. So her folks had a, an apartment that we stayed in for, you know, most of last year till September when someone else moving in and then we get a different place. But anyways, so anyways, I'm in this flow. You're guiding me through this meditation. I've got the back popped. So I know that M will just lift the back and no joke. My mother-in-law is like, tap, 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 tap. You know, your trunk's open. <laughs> <laughs> like thought, I, you know, oh, thought, I, thought I was going to take, I was just like, Oh my gosh. I was so, I thought about this. Cause it was one of those days, right. Where one of those days where it was like, you know, just one thing after another and I just couldn't escape it. And I was like, yo, I got 10 minutes right now. She's taking the baby somewhere, whatever she was doing. Um, ah, uh, that's amazing. It was just such a, a funny thing. But all right, I brother. I love that, dude. <laughs> and we'll, of course, link in the show notes to all your stuff. But for those listening that have their phones out, where can they find you, Evan? Instagram at E D S Britain. 
my podcast, my podcast, The Ebb and Flow, on all podcast platforms. And check me out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EDS Britain. I appreciate you, brother. All right, man. Well, hey, have a wonderful day, wonderful night. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. I know people are going to absolutely love this show. So I appreciate it, brother, as always. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing our show and blasting it out to everybody. And if people can trickle over and, and listen to your stuff, just awesome. And uh, thank you again, man. Grateful for you, brother. Grateful for you, man. Thank you, Joe. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them. So thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.